Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. The checklists are just there to guide the people through their daily tasks, right? But the real value of the checklist aren't in doing the checklist, it's in the data that we're collecting in real time. And it's that data, that accountability, that visibility of knowing who's doing what, what's actually happening in my locations so I can just manage them. And so we have a report, can be your top issues report. And every month you can just look at the top five issues and go, okay, what are our top five? How are we gonna change these procedures to try to address these? And then you can just watch those numbers come down over time. And you so you identify an issue, you come up with a solution, you change the procedure, which is generally the checklist, you implement that, then you monitor it, and then you go back at the end of the month or the quarter and you go, okay, did we move the needle, yes or no? Why haven't we done that? And you can just constantly get better and it's a data-driven better, right? This is Tommy Yernoldis, founder of Ops Analytica, a platform that helps operators to manage their daily operation and identify issues in their business. So they can address these before they affect their people and customer, which then ensures better sales and profit. Before Tony founded the business, he worked in a number of roles within operation in hospitality. Tommy is like me, a big fan of systems and checklists that makes it easier for people to do their work better. We also very big fans of the book called The Checklist Manifesto on how to get things right by Atul Gimande, and we'll dive into that in this conversation. Also in this conversation, we dive into the power of checklists and how you can utilize them to build a stronger culture and thereby achieve better results in all areas of your business. Tommy shares his experience on how tech can help operators to gain so much operational efficiencies as well as transform the employee experience if they're implemented properly from the outset. We also discuss the level of digitalization in hospitality and if we have invested enough in back of house tech and how to use data to build better operation, the future of the industry and how he as the founder is navigating the new paradigm of business. Before you tune in, please sign up for a weekly newsletter packed with more Maverick insights, strategies, and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. Hold on to your notebook and pen. Lots of really good practical advice on how to optimize the use of system and tech in your business. Enjoy. When I uh, first uh, had a conversation with today's guest, uh, Tommy, uh, we went into probably one some people from the outside looking in that conversation, a very geeky conversation about checklists, the checklist manifesto, and how we can actually help people in operation to do uh, their job better and faster and with more engagement and, and happiness in the end. And all this we're going to cover today in our conversation. So thank you so much, Tommy, for, for coming on the show and talking about checklists. Oh, you're very welcome. I know now most people are going to the next podcast episode. They're like, checklist, click, next. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I think that's actually where we should start and say why they shouldn't, because that really comes together with, it would be lovely to hear, you know, your story as the founder uh ops uh ops analytica and also what the purposes of the business and and maybe just the the big milestones you've been on sure so uh we started ops analytica in 2015 and it is an operations management platform and what we do is we help our customers which are generally large multi-location uh restaurant and and different businesses from automotive to restaurant to medical uh, we help them run better operations and we help them make their managers 
better. And we do that by taking the guesswork out of running the business, right? We allow them to go in one screen and see everything that they need to do that day, that week, that month, that quarter, right? So that they know exactly what they have to get done and they don't have to stress about it and they don't have to um, like worry that they're missing something or they can just simply follow the very easily laid out sort of series of events, the checklists that they get, and then they do a better job of controlling what they can control. They do a better job of uh, taking care of their customers. And both of those things obviously lead to sales and profits, right? So uh, ultimately, we become that platform, whereas the POS is there to help you manage transactions and track money. We're there to help you manage human activity, manage your teams on a daily basis across all your locations. And, and that's absolutely amazing. So what actually led you to, to this you know, business and venture in 2015? What is your background and, and story around that? Sure. So I'm a hotel restaurant guy, you know. I'm Greek and Puerto Rican, which would only happen in America that a Greek man and a Puerto Rican woman would get together. And I used to and both my grandfathers owned restaurants. And uh, I used to joke that I was like born in a dish pit, you know. Um, but the, the reality is, is that my parents both saw my grandfathers running restaurants and they said, we don't want anything to do with that. And so my dad was a rocket scientist and my mom worked at Lockheed Martin, which is a big defense contractor. And, um, but I got the hospitality bug. So like at 14, I got my first job. My mom would drop me off at the mall and I'd make cheesesteaks and subs, you know, at this restaurant. Um, and then I just got into the industry. I have a hotel restaurant background. I have an MBA from the same school, the University of Denver here in Denver, Colorado. And, um, and then when I got out of MBA school, oh, by the way, in the middle of those two degrees, I did 10 years of stand-up comedy as well. So, you know, I've had kind of jumped all over the place. And that whole time I did stand up, I worked in the hospitality industry because I needed to make money. So I waited tables and I managed restaurants and, you know, everything in between cooked. So, you know, I was always in the industry, even when like I wanted to just only be a stand up comic, I still was in the industry doing stuff. Um, and then I got a job in like mid 2000s at Quiznos, which in the U.S., Quiznos is infamous because it's the largest franchise implosion in history, which I had no idea that that's what it was. I just got a job and um, and I was working in ops. And then I was tasked with building a way to audit and report on auditing all the restaurants. And at the time, we had like 5000 locations. So it was one of the largest audit programs, you know, in the world at that point uh, in like 0809. And so basically they came to me and they were like, you got to come up with a way to report on all these audits we're doing. And then they did, we don't have any money. And so you can't hire someone to do it. And so I ended up building my own little like audit platform, like a web form that you could use on like a 2008, 2009 smartphone. And so that's really where Ops Analytica was born out of my need to report on all the audits we were doing across all of Quiznos. I left Quiznos in 09, ended up getting, I started a little tech company and um, in 2013-ish, I had a guy who was going to get fired. He wasn't that good. And so we were trying to train him up and I said, rebuild me that thing that I built at Quiznos. And he did. And we threw it on LinkedIn and people wanted to buy it. And we were like, what? Seriously, somebody wants to buy this? This is really cool. That was, by the way, was my entire market research before I started my company was one guy was interested in buying something. And so then I spent like the next year, nights and weekends, like just pulled a bunch of all-nighters and we got a platform together that you could actually sell. And we put it in 18 restaurants on the East Coast called Charlie Brown's at the time. And then eight months later, me and my business partner were like, we don't want to do consulting anymore. We just want to have one product that we can make awesome. And so we launched Ops Analytica. And I thought, you know, within a year, I'll be back to making what I'm making today. Fool, entrepreneurial fool. And so it took a while, uh, but now we're, we're killing it, you know, seven years later. By the way, we bootstrapped this whole thing. So we have all the financing, everything is us. So uh, we've never raised money. We've just built it from scratch organically, sweat equity. Um, and it's pretty, it's in a really exciting time right now for us. So it's cool. 
Yeah, and I guess what would be really interesting here is also to hear what makes your platform so unique compared to others and, and what is the philosophy behind it. Of course, you you had some pain you need to solve in, in the real world and then you did that and you forgot about it again and then it was brought to life again. But what is like the why why is it that you are unique to others and and you and also the philosophy we talked about uh earlier around behind the platform? Yeah, so like most of the platforms that we compete against and there's a there's like there's a lot of them out there people kind of come into the industry and they leave and they don't because they don't understand it you know and restaurants are notoriously hard to sell to in general so you really have to speak restaurant i think uh restaurant tours i think are very savvy to that like this guy's never been in a restaurant he doesn't know what we're dealing with you know but um so we started on day one everybody prior to sort of what when we came in, they were really more focused on auditing, right? And auditing is that when you're in a big corporate restaurant scenario, they're going to either send a field guy or they're going to hire a third party company to come to your restaurant once a quarter. Usually some people do once a month, but that's rare. Once a quarter, they're going to show up and they're going to do a two or three hour complete walkthrough inspection of your, of your location. And so auditing was always the thing everybody was doing you know, probably from like the mid 2000s up to like kind of when we came on the scene. Um, and I think auditing is great at a corporate level to identify large systematic problems that you can address. Right. But if you want to drive better operations, increase sales, uh, increase customer satisfaction and increase profitability, then you've got to focus on daily execution right it's the daily checklists that are the important thing that drive the behavior and the consistency like the biggest fall point for most multi-location operators restaurants retail doesn't matter is when their teams aren't controlling what they're supposed to control 80 percent of the issues that people have with these businesses when they have a bad experience the bathroom was dirty the shelves weren't stocked correctly the food took too long are generally all things that corporate knows about and has put a system in place to deal with. It's just that the operator at the store level dropped the ball, right? And and it's not because they're bad at what they do. It's just because the, just the amount of complexity that's gone into running these businesses has skyrocketed with all the technology. So like, you know, what used to be something you would do in the seventies, uh, that all still exists, but now you've got 30 different apps you have to manage too. And now the guy just can't keep up. And then you have labor problems, COVID delivery, all these extra things are flying in on these operators and they can't, you know, they just miss things. And it's just human nature, right? So we really came in and said, okay, we're going to focus on daily ops because that's what's going to drive sales and profits and greater customer satisfaction. So that is the first thing that kind of differentiates us in the space um, because we built our platform from day one to be a daily platform. Uh, there's a big difference. Like if you're an auditing platform, you only really focus on one big checklist. And so everything you kind of build, if you're just building an auditing platform as much more singularly focused, but when you build a daily checklist platform, you're, you're already thinking I'm going to have 10, 20 checklists that might get used throughout a week. So you build everything just slightly differently, right? Um, so you can handle more use cases. And then you ask what our biggest competitive advantage is, is we have the best business logic engine in our industry. So we, what we can do, we have a couple things that we can do. We can do what we call dynamic checklists, right? So think about, we have a 750 unit chain here in the U S and they all run one temperature log, right? And if you think about anybody who owns chain restaurants, 90 to 95% of the locations are exactly the same, right? Um, especially if you're building your own building. Um, but if you're finding like, you know, rental spaces, you're converting spaces in strip centers, whatever, they're all about 90 to 95% the same, which is great. But the 5% that's different is actually a super big deal. Like everything in the world, it's always the last 5%, right? And so if in our instance, like, so what most people do, like my competitors, what they have to do is they go, okay, they either have to ask a bunch of extra questions to try to figure out what, do you have this? Do you have that? Do you have this piece of equipment? Blah, 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 blah. Or they have, their solution is to have multiple versions of the same checklist, right? Both of which are just way more work. 
uh, for the people administrating things, for the people trying to run reports, and also for the guy at the store, he's now having, you're asking an hourly employee who might not even know, do you have a third walk-in? Do you have this piece of equipment? Do you do this menu item? And so you're leaving like a lot of this up to the people at the store level. And what makes us different is we can have one checklist, right? That when you load it, it looks at your store and goes, okay, this is the exact version of this checklist for this store, taking into account equipment differences, hours of operations, drive-through, no drive-through, you know, are you non-trad or are you a trad? Do you have these menu items? Are you running this test special? Like we can just make it perfect, like to use an inventory term, sheet to shelf for every location, but it's just one checklist, right? And so that simplifies your reporting, it simplifies your management, and it makes sure that the employee at the store level knows exactly what they need to answer, and you can hold them accountable to answering everything that they're supposed to answer, right? And so that's the main thing. And then we leverage that business logic engine for everything. So we have dynamic checklists. We can do mass customized checklists. So you can have each store determined by based on the manager, which questions they want to answer for their store. Or you can do stuff like this guy's a bad employee and doesn't do a good job. So the, the system can recognize that this guy's a bad employee and they can ask the guy to take way more pictures to ensure that he's actually doing the stuff. Whereas if you have a good employee, they might not have to take any pictures because, you know, doesn't matter. They're good. They always do it right. You know, we can just do so many cool things to really dial these processes in place for the stores and the teams that are at the stores. And that's our big competitive advantage. Uh, what we end up seeing is that if we're not your first choice, we're generally your second choice because a lot of people will start off go get a checklist platform, not knowing what they don't know. So they just think, oh, I'm just going to replace a couple of checklists, you know, my walkthrough, my pest walk, my food safety, whatever. I'm just going to replace those three checklists. And then once they get a taste of the data and the control and the visibility, they start going, oh my gosh, we could do so much more with this. But then they get on these other platforms that just can't do all the cool things we can do. So then they go, oh, shoot, they have to keep telling their bosses, no, nah, we can't really do that. It doesn't work that way. Sorry. And then they come looking for something that's a little bit more powerful, um, you know, after their contracts up. So we get a lot of we get a lot of business from uh, disgruntled people of our competitors who just wanted to do more, which is exciting. You know, I love the, the way about you do one thing well and coming back to you, you talked about your philosophy of, you know, you, you make you know you make operation work you make people happy to work in the operation customer becomes happy sales loyalty and profit will follow and this the service profit chain has talked about that since the 70s uh, uh heskis uh james heskis from harvard university and uh, and his his guys and they're still communicating about that getting the fundamentals working really well on a daily level and actually these small capital things that need to happen every day in any kind of business where there is an operation needs to run is so important. I think also, uh, I think we talked about this on our, our, before we went into conversation about Jim Collins and these companies succeeded there. They were very, very disciplined about the day-to-day, -day, what they call the flywheel effect, 1% better every day and actually measuring what makes great operation. And I think sometimes we forget that in business. Well, and it's weird because like, obviously when McDonald's and you're an ex McDonald's guy, right? And you know that I love McDonald's, you know, so like, uh, I'm not like a player hater. I love McDonald's. I love the muffins. I like McNuggets. I like quarter pounders. I like it all. But like, uh, I, and I love their, their systems company. You watch that Ray Kroc movie and you watch the guy was sitting there with the stopwatch and they're making the burgers. I mean, it's just amazing, right? I got McDonald's is one of the best systems companies in the world. And by the way, I want to point this out. Like my previous tech job before I started Ops Analytica, we did business process management and workflow. And we did it for the largest organizations in the world, like Wells Fargo, the World Bank, Universal Comcast, like huge organizations, right? The restaurant industry doesn't get enough credit at all. We are some of the best business process management people in the world. We don't think about it like that, but we are because we can break down the running of a Taco Bell into basically 50 checklists. And if you follow all these things and then during the rush, you just assemble the food correctly, you you're running a business and it's all we, we can define 
um, define a process, break it into steps, train it, and, and get it executed across thousands of locations. And why I say we're the best in the world at it, better than NASA, the Army, everybody else, is because we have one extra attribute, which is perishability. If you don't have to deal with perishability, food spoiling and food waste, then you know making processes is easy, right? Because you're doing it in a vacuum. But now you've got something that's on a shelf that's just ticking down. Tick, 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 tick. This is gonna go bad. You're gonna waste money. You're gonna lose money. And so that's why I say we're the best at this, right? But going back to what we were talking about, what you were talking about a second ago, the issue is really in in uh, hospitality, in any multi-location business, by the way, this doesn't have to be restaurants, anything, is that the things that you're getting wrong on a daily basis, the, the problem with them is, is that not one of them is generally so bad, right? Um, so it's not like your employee just walks up to a customer and punches him in the face and then spits on him and like shakes him, you know, it's never that it's just, uh, you know, my food order didn't come out at the same time. The bathroom was gross. I didn't get a straw. I had to wait. The iced tea got made late. So then all my ice melted. So I had like lukewarm tea or, you know, they were out of something. It's always these little things that are gross. There was a bunch of trash on the floor. My table was sticky. And they're all these miniature little things, but they add up. And so it's not like, you know, if you if you didn't get a ketchup packet, it's not going to destroy your meal. But when you have 20 of those bad little things that happen, which were all controllable, by the way, by the management team at the store, they were in charge of stocking straws and ketchup and wiping down tables and all that stuff. But they just didn't get to it or they forgot or someone didn't come to work or whatever it is, but they did not control what they were supposed to control. And you just get you just get killed with death by a thousand cuts, right? It's just all these little things start to add up. And then you so then you leave with a blah experience, right? Uh, it was fine. And you get three of those in whatever the time frame you visit this restaurant is. If, if it's a Starbucks and they just have a really bad week, like someone who gets Starbucks every day, coffee every day, they might have those three bad experiences in one week. If you visit that restaurant once a month and you do that for three months in a row, all of a sudden you're going to get to a point where you're going to make a decision to stop coming. And it's usually after three to five times, if you have three to five blog experiences, then mentally you go, you know what? I'm just not that excited about going to that restaurant right now. I think I'll give it, I'll, I'll, I'll skip a month or two. And then you come back and if you come back one more time and it's still bad and it's still mediocre, that's when you might go, I'm never going back to that unit again, you know? And, and the problem is you don't know, on any given day, if this person who's having a blah experience, if it's their first one or it's their fourth one, you just don't know. And so you have to control those details. And it's all the little details that you're supposed to control that you've identified. They're on your checklist right now, but you just aren't doing them. Like people aren't doing them, right? So that that's, that's it. It's death by a thousand cuts. And the whole world's conspiring against our industry. I mean, like just everything, government, wages, supply chain, people don't want to work in it anymore. There's a million outside factors that are all conspiring to get us, right? So we have to be we have to be perfect within our four walls. Because if we're not, you know, it's not like it was in the 70s, right? It's not like you go, well, that's the only burger place within 500 miles of here. So I might as well just eat there and suck it up. Like I can literally have food delivered to my house immediately from 50 of your competitors. And everywhere you go, for the most part, has multiple versions of this. You have competitors everywhere. So and, and online reviews, all that stuff. We just all become big babies. So we're not nobody's willing to put up with even the slightest thing. They're just going to nail you on social media and stop coming. So it's even more imperative today than ever that we control what we can control start to finish. So uh, we've entered we've entered the pandemic, and uh, you operate on a tech platform, and there's been a huge, you know, uptake in digital tools and into the industry, both for from a customer point of view, but also internally. But what is your general view of the level of digitalization in, in hospitality? Because I still think, in my view, it's still early days uh, with lots of areas of digitalization. But what you just said, they have 23 apps they need to look at. So. Well, and they're all about sales. So 
when we started this business in 2015, you know, I was like in my mind, and, and once again, as an entrepreneur, you have to be this way. People want this. This is exactly what they want. They need this. We got to get out there and give it to them. But so many of the conversations really between 2015 and 2019 were, that sounds great. What you guys are doing sounds amazing. But what we're focused on right now is getting our app in place, getting our online ordering in place, getting our carry out in place and getting our POS redone if our POS can't support that. And then also figuring out delivery, right? And so it was always like, that sounds great, but we got to work on this. But then around 2019, the big guys, right, they all started to catch up and they, they kind of got through that transformation. And I would suggest that most of the digitization of our industry has been around sales and getting all of our sales channels in place. Uh, the big one right now in the U.S. is Olo, um, which brings together all your delivery platforms into your POS. So because for a while there, you know, if you had four or five delivery platforms, Uber, DoorDash, you know, uh, Postmates, all those things, you literally had three or four different tablets all sitting on your counter and then the orders would come in there and then you'd have to transcribe them. And it was a whole thing. And Olo simplifies that greatly. Um, and I'm kind of amazed, too, because I was literally talking to a buddy of mine last night who runs a 30 unit sub chain here in town. And he's like, we just got on Olo like literally last week. And he's like, it's transforming our world, right? So like not everybody's there still, especially the smaller guys. When you don't have a big dedicated IT team, then you know you have to find the resources to do some of this stuff. Um, so having said that, I think that the industry's done an amazing job of, of really adopting all the different sales channels and delivery channels um, possible. But where they lack it is, and what's kind of what you said too, operations management is still like a brand new discipline. And we get more and more people coming to us now than we've ever had. And that's really been since 2019 through the pandemic. More and more people are interested in going, well, if we're going to do these things, we might as well um, put it on. We might as well be able to look at it, right? Like if we're going to have, like they, they're getting the fact that paper processes are kind of antiquated and they want data. But what I, what I find is super interesting is nobody's coming to me going, I'm looking for a platform to help me manage my entire operations from the location level to the field teams all the way to corporate. I'm looking for one platform that can do all that. Nobody's thinking that way because they've never had a platform like that. Right. And I was kind of going back to McDonald's earlier and I got sidetracked. But like McDonald's was all about systems. Right. And they were the first to really chain and do all of that stuff. If if tablet technology had existed in the 1950s, then my belief is, is that McDonald's from day one would have implemented an operations management system like ours. But it didn't exist. It didn't exist to really 2010. Right. So the whole industry grew up going, OK, like the whole industry grew up and got very comfortable with. I don't know what's actually happening in these locations and there's no way for me to know. So because I can't know that what I need to do is focus on systems and training and hope for the best. Right. And that's what we did. So they developed all the systems. We got amazingly good at doing a lot of bulk training. We created paper-based systems, which are worthless, um, but that's all we had. So they were better than nothing, but they are worthless compared to a tablet-based system. And then we just said, okay, we're going to, we're going to have to just trust these guys are doing stuff. And I, I have a blog on this, but the, the industry's dirty little secret is that nobody uses the paper-based systems and they don't. And there's a plethora of reasons why people don't use them. But the big ones are because nobody's paying because no one can hold me accountable for not doing it in real time. And nobody ever looks at the data. So it's a waste of time. Right. So the people just like we all know that nobody uses them. And that's a huge deal. Because we're basically been backing into operations from a quarterly audit, a two-hour inspection once a quarter, and then we look at sales and customer sat and profit data, and we go, okay, I think this guy's doing pretty good, right? But you don't know, like, just because a guy's got a good level of sales could be because of his location. It has nothing to do with how well they're operating the restaurant, right? Like, you could see some guy's doing $2 million a week, and you're like, that guy's great. 
but maybe that unit could be doing 10 million a week if he was actually really good, you know? So you just, you they, people have just gotten so comfortable backing into what's actually happening. Um, and so with our platform, you know, and when they come to us too, they just come in trying to digitize three or four checklists. Oh, I just want to get my food safety and I just want to get that manager opening and closing. But what's amazing, like my favorite part of my job is seeing the restaurants realize, holy crap, we've got some real power here. We can really change our world. And then they start going ape on it and they start using it for everything from food recalls, the LTOs to labor law compliance to, um, hey, we're revamping, we're putting back lines in or we're releasing kitchen screens and we need a way to track who got them and, and if they're installed correctly. And I mean, it just becomes the thing that they use to just manage the entirety of their operations. And the, the guys that do that, they see so much value it's insanity. I mean, I have one guy started and he told me we were going to do four checklists and now he has over a hundred because he's just anything. Cause then corporate figures out too. wait a second, instead of me sending an email to a, a thousand restaurants and then trying to hand enter everything into a spreadsheet, I can just literally publish a process. And then all the data can just be downloaded into a spreadsheet when it's done. You know, it's insanity, man. And then, like, that's the exciting part to see these guys, using the platform to do stuff that I never imagined would be an issue for them. Like, I love it. It's the best. It's very interesting to say that well, as you talk there, Tommy, I've been thinking about like one thing I learned very early on in my career from a, a boss I had, and it was at McDonald's actually. He said, we are not about predicting sales. We are about predicting how well we can deliver capacity. And therefore, from there on, you build your budget and your sales and your cost. So actually, how good are you at delivery? So we know at full at best capacity, when the restaurant and the team performs the best, we can deliver this sale. So now we just need to break that down. <laughs> and that's the way we work. So we learned, I learned to actually think about how you actually drive business growth that way. So actually, the product and your processes and your team are ready to deliver. And it's not, it's not perfect. You know, you're never going to get it perfect. But actually, you think differently about the business then and how you need to put things in place in operation before you start thinking about how much of, how many offers should I drive or how many people should I put on the, the, the front counter and what should we do in the drive through to get more speed through it. Actually, you start in the right end on capacity. And, and that's what I heard what you said as well. And I think that's what goes wrong. We turn on the sales and then the consequences is that operation can't deal with it when the sales come in. Oh, you know, it's so crazy, dude, too. This is like nuts. And this has been from the podcast recently. I I got interviewed two other shows and I've interviewed uh, those guys as well. And I've had two different people, an advertising person recently and a customer satisfaction slash um, guest experience person that I was talking to. Both of them came to me and said, we want to like look at start using a platform like yours. We want to start pushing that on our customers, right? Because like in marketing's perspective, they're out there driving sales, right? And I have a whole theory that you can market yourself off of a cliff, which is you can run the most compelling LTOs and ads, but if your stores aren't ready to handle the capacity and can execute, all you're doing is driving more people into your restaurant to have a bad experience in the short term, which means they're not going to come back and you can literally market, 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 and, and actually start closing restaurants because people are having such bad experiences. You know what I mean? Now we were the masters of that at Quiznos. We would run these big national double prime rib bogos and their stores were dirty. The guys weren't honoring the coupons. Just get like a paper sign on a door. We're not doing bogo prime rib, you know, just bad service, one guy behind the counter. And, you know, people just go, this is junk, man. And so we, we, spent money to get them to come in to have a bad experience right and and that's what everybody does and, and our industry is the king of that we we are so focused on sales 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 but if we don't have our ops in place boom you're just you're just killing yourself for no reason you know um and that's what that sales guy was like dude i drove all these people in they, they yelled at him because this product didn't take off and he was like well if you look at it i drove thousands of people into your stores for one time, but they didn't like the product and they didn't like the service. And so they didn't come back. 
And then the same thing on the call center side, uh, this, the woman was like, you know, customer service, we just like, we're the one picking, we know everything that's wrong in the business. So if you want to increase customer satisfaction, go fix manufacturing or go fix retail or go fix something else where people are having better experiences. And then we won't ha our customer sat numbers will just go up, you know? So it's like, it's all intertwined ops, you know, and that's what, you know, everybody forgets that at corporate. They just think that the ops team is this magical thing that can just handle anything they throw at them, you know, and they can't, you know, it, it's, you know, it's too, it's just too many details to manage. I think it's very interesting what you said before as well. And I wanted to take the conversation a bit that, you know, as they work with platforms to start to get data as well, uh, where they have, I guess, both, you know, capability challenges, where there is maybe physical challenges in operation, you can actually start working strategically, closing these gaps to improve your, your business. Yeah, we, what we try to do, we call it the ops analytica way, but what we want you to do is get into a uh, a self-fulfilling, like, uh, it's like the, the Toyota is really big on this, where you're constant improvement, right? And so, yeah, when I talk about the checklist, and thank you for pointing out, because I don't think I did a good job of explaining it. The checklists are just there to guide the people through their daily tasks, right? But the real value of the checklist aren't in doing the checklist. It's in the data that we're collecting in real time. And that, you know, now I can, so like if I'm the general manager, my team is going through and doing the checklist and answering the questions and, you know, and they're, and they're just being reminded of all the little things they need to check. But then at corporate, when all of a sudden they can start looking at trends in the data and they can go like one of my companies, I can tell you right now, their number one issue is meatballs. They cannot keep the meatballs hot because the procedure, um, the procedure is just to throw them in a pan and heat them up, but then they end up not selling enough of them and they end up throwing them away. And so the managers don't like to heat them up because they keep them unsafe temperature because they don't want to take a hit on their food cost every shift, right? Because they're tossing a pan of meatballs. So like the business needs to get on the same page about are we going to have safe meatballs and how do we best accomplish that? while also, you know, keeping them safe and having not to throw them all away every day. But so they get the data, right? And it's that data, that accountability, that visibility of knowing who's doing what, what's actually happening in my locations so I can just manage them. And so we have a report can be your top issues report. And every month you can just look at the top five issues and go, okay, what are our top five? How are we going to change these procedures to try to address these? And then you can just watch those numbers come down over time. And you so you identify an issue, you come up with a solution, you change the procedure, which is generally the checklist, you implement that, then you monitor it, and then you go back at the end of the month or the quarter and you go, okay, did we move the needle? Yes or no? Why haven't we done that? And you can just constantly get better. And it's a data-driven better, right? And so people are always like, hey, man, you know, is there good data and bad data in your system? And I'm like, no. And one of the cool things we can do in our system too, which we're like one of the only people in the world that's an analytics platform that can do this, we have the ability to rate or rank the accuracy of the data when it's being collected. We call it data accuracy scoring. So we can tell you if this checklist was, was done accurately or inaccurately when it was completed which allows you to, when you're doing reporting, if you want to look at a specific question, right, and you're trying to make a business decision based off of a checklist or a series of questions, you can literally click one button and only make the decision off of accurate data. You can scrub out all the garbage, all the pencil whip data, but then that data is, I think, as valuable as the accurate data, because, but just for a different reason, now I'm the district manager of 10 stores. I can go look at my patch and go, show me all the not accurate data. Oh, okay. Michael's got an issue with doing this incorrectly, or this guy did that checklist from home. What the heck is going on? So now you have all this great coaching data that you can utilize to go back and talk, talking to these employees and going, hey, this is the why behind what we do. This is why it's important. I need you to start doing this better. And you can now start becoming a more effective manager to your teams because you have real data to talk to them about. You're not just, you know, so often when people get um, 
you know so often when you give like feedback to one of your employees it's always the last thing they did wrong you know so you walk in the restaurant and it was a little dirty so then you harp on that guy for the next three weeks about a dirty restaurant when you know you just came in at a weird time and the guy hadn't gone out from behind the counter to wipe everything down yet and so now instead of doing that kind of bs demotivating feedback you can actually look at real data about how that store is operating and then you can um, give them real, uh, real constructive feedback and you can measure that they're getting better. So you can actually compliment them, you know? Yeah, and that also means more strategic behavioral leadership feedback that actually, you know, because you can almost show the data to the employee. And so what do you think when you're looking at that? And they will probably say the same or worse than you would actually address it in, in the feedback. So coming back to, you know, um, Going from the data bit, which is really important to see the gaps both in the human behavior, but also in the, what the, the company is strategic from a capability point of view. But what kind of role do you see tech plays in hospitality today? Is it strategic as uh, as from an outset when you work with operators? Do they have a strategic approach to how to use technology across the business? I think that the businesses that are getting younger people in do. And not to be like an ageist, I just turned 50, right? So it's not like I'm like this young spring chicken. But, you know, I, the, the industry has got dinosaur operators and it's got like new blood, right? And and the dinosaur operators are the guys that are sort of so rooted in the 90s and the 80s, right? And, you know, they just kind of like, uh, I don't like technology. We don't need that kind of like mentality. And, and it, that's being beaten out of everybody, right? Because everybody's getting more and more apps and more and more data and, and, you know, I think people give the restaurant industry a lot of guff because they were very slow to adopt a lot of these things. Obviously, the pandemic spurred a massive investment in tech, especially around sales and delivery. Um, but yeah, I think it is becoming more strategic, right? And I do, I truly believe, and I, I may be proven wrong, I don't know, but I truly believe that operations management is going to be the next big competitive battleground in multi-location operations. Um, the software like we have, because everybody now has access to or has a POS, an app, a website, online ordering. If you don't have that today, it's because you've made a conscious business decision to not have that. It's not like it's out of anybody's reach, right? For a hundred bucks a month, you can have the entire thing and be just like a big chain. You know, like in the early, late 90s, early 2000s, Domino's and Pizza Hut in the US spent millions and millions of dollars developing their own online ordering platforms. And they had to wait till Google Maps came into play. All of these different things had to be invented so they could do that. And now a guy with a hot dog cart can have the same technology for 30 bucks, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter. So that's all a conscious decision. But with operations management software like ours, what you get, what you can create for yourself using our platform is an ability to identify issues, crowdsource solutions and implement changes seamlessly in basically real time, right? So, so like, I'll give you an example. We had a chain and they were getting all this customer satisfaction feedback, right? That said their restaurants were dirty. And so at that level of data, they thought to themselves, well, the only way that we can solve this is we will hire two more labor hours at lunch and dinner, right? We will put two more hours on at lunch and dinner for somebody to be in the dining room, just cleaning the restaurants. And if, and if that's all the data you had, dirty restaurants, that is an exactly correct thing to do. That's a very smart thing. We'll throw four more hours of labor on a day. We'll be good. Well, if you just extrapolated that cost out over their entire chain, let's just say five days a week, it ended up being well over $5 million a year. And that's just straight multiplication, two hours a day, this many units, you know, or four hours a day, not including hiring costs and all the other things that go along with it, right? Paperwork, all that stuff. But then what they did was they used our platform and they started digging deeper and they started asking questions and crowdsourcing responses. And what they realized was that it wasn't like the restaurants weren't actually dirty. What the problem was is their trash cans were too small in some restaurants. 
And so they got a $20 fix, right? They got bought bigger trash cans for some of the restaurants. And so, you know, I don't know what it ended up costing them, but that led to a quote from that team was, you helped us identify an issue we didn't even know we had, and you kept us from making a multi-million dollar mistake. Um, and that all was through the power of data, right? And so if you can, so if you can identify issues, crowdsource responses, get the full picture quickly, and then implement a change very fast, you're, you're constantly improving, you're constantly getting better. And I think what you're going to start to see happen in the industry is as people adopt operations management software, because once again, this isn't like you don't just tweak one thing. You're just trying to avoid death by a thousand cuts, right? You're going to start to see that certain businesses are just going to start to incrementally, very smallly get better. And then over time, that, that advantage is going to start getting pressed. And all of a sudden, you're going to be sitting there going, you're Burger King and you're going to be looking at McDonald's and you're going to be like, how are they raising their same store sales so much better than we are? Like, what are they doing? Like, we, there's no perceivable thing that they're doing. Like, it's not more marketing. It's not more locations. But they're getting better because they're actually managing their businesses that much more effectively. And they're just fixing their problems quicker. And that that adds up. That just incrementally adds up. And then, as, and as you know, when you start to raise sales in an area or you start to raise chain-wide store-level sales, everything starts to get easier. You have more money in the ad fund. You can do more uh, development on apps. You can do more LTOs. You can get better real estate. You can sell more franchisees. Like everything gets better because you're getting more successful. And all of a sudden you start to see the one and the two that the gap's going to get bigger. And, and I would say, so like that's the next big thing we have to deal with because we now have visibility and data and a way to take action. And I, and I know it's working because I see my clients doing it. And I'm like, I'm just blown away at what they're doing in the system. The other thing is, and this is where our platform is going uh, as an operations management platform. We're not there today, but that's our vision is in the near future, you are going to need a system that can coordinate human activity, robot activity, sensor activity, and eventually listen to the internet and in real time, take action. So if somebody walks out of your restaurant and tweets, man, their bathroom looked like a truck trucker bathroom, you know, that like that now exists, that piece of data exists in the world. Something needs to be able to capture that piece of data from the, the um, you know, internet and then create a task for somebody to go clean a bathroom or send a robot in there. Like something's gonna have to coordinate all these siloed systems. And so that's where I see my platform in the future being the, the, the thing that can coordinate human robot sensor and internet data and help the manager be more effective in their job. Where like talk about the future, where do you see that the, uh, the industry will, there's a lots of challenges you already pointed out, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, you can't even invent more challenges and throw in the industry. In. Uh, but where do you think it's going? Like, if we just take a, we look two years ahead now, where, where is the industry when you when we give like a big picture overview? I think we're going to start seeing less waiters. And I think we're going to start seeing it's either going to be some form of quick service where it'll be fast food, like McDonald's, you have your drive through and your counter. But then I think there's that middle ground where today might be a Chili's or, a, you know, Outback, that's a fast casual restaurant. Um, like I was at in London at a gin bar and, you know, it was a 200 seat restaurant and we walked up to the bar, ordered our food, someone delivered it. There was no waiter, you know, and it was a great experience. Um, and I, so I think you're going to see waiters going away at the, the low end level or being greatly reduced in their responsibility with tablet ordering, kiosks, robots. You know, I have a guy here in town who's got robots that deliver the food to the table and talks to you and. You just simply take your food off the robot and set it in front of you type of thing. So I think um, it's going to be more technology. You're going to basically either have some form of counter service or you'll be at a very high end restaurant where you'll get amazing service. But like the idea of, you know, that $20 dinner where you have a waiter and a bartender in the restaurant, I don't think that's going to be as prevalent as it is today. Um, and then as my buddy last night was saying, people just want they want a 
frictionless experience wherever they go. And they want it exactly the way they want it. So every restaurant's going to have to have some form of delivery, carry out, in dining, you know, it just however it meets my fancy. I just want your food in my belly and however I want to get it. That's just, you're going to have to have every option, you know, to from full sit down in the restaurant, eat there and, you know, whatever to, I just get it at my house and everything in between. And what's happening too, is that, you know, because of the supply chain issues and gas prices in the U S especially have gotten higher than they usually are. What we're seeing is, is that delivery prices are going up and up and up. And so there's, you know, as my buddy said yesterday, he he's the CEO of this company. He ordered a $10 sub with a $2 tip and it cost him $19 to get it delivered from his own restaurant to his corporate office because he wanted to see how well it was delivered. And, you know, we're getting to a point where it's getting harder and harder to justify nine extra bucks for the convenience of not driving five blocks. You know what I mean? And it's getting harder and harder to do that because the delivery fees are going up and the gas price, you know, the whole thing's getting worse. So you're going to start to see, like he's seeing, uh, it was like 35% delivery during the pandemic. Now they're back down to 18. Pre-pandemic, they were around 12 to 15. So it's doubled during the pandemic and it's starting to come back down, right? And there will always be people who can afford a $9 additional cost on one sandwich for the convenience. Um, but a lot less people are going to be doing that, you know? So it's going to maybe start shifting back to, I'll just go pick it up, but I'll get it curbside. You know what I mean? So it's still convenience there, but I'm not paying nine extra bucks for a five minute drive. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can hear as well, how you, how you see the future as well. There's lots of unknown because of the current situation with supply chains, labor pressure and so on. But I totally agree. Well, there'll be a split market. It'll be a very high end experience. There's very lots of human touch points because that's what you pay for and it's okay. And then you have the more transactional kind of thing where technology is going to do a lot of the, the, the heavy lifting. Um, I know you love books as well, uh, Tommy, which book would you give uh, away nine out of 10 times? Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. I so I hadn't even read that book when we started the business. I just I just was in, you know, to checklists. I just thought they were an effective tool, you know. But then I read that book. And that book, by the way, is is really Atul Gawande, for you, for those of you who are not familiar with this guy, he's a genius. He's a Harvard surgeon. And I believe at one point Amazon hired him to be the head of their medical businesses. So, I mean, he's a big dude. He's written a ton of books and, and uh, the checklist manifesto is a history of the invention of the checklist, which started by army test pilots in the 1920s. And it goes through, it goes through its entire history of use. And then he really focuses on a surgery checklist that they use to make, uh, make sure that when you get a surgery, you're going to have a better outcome because they don't miss key steps. And it really goes into just the logic behind everything. And it touches on airplane checklists and surgery and some restaurant hospitality. But if you want to read an interesting book, that's just will grip you and it's not fiction, right? It's just amazing. Like absolutely highly recommend it. You will come out of something from that book that you will use to change your life for sure. Yeah, either alive or your business, because it's all about incremental improvement as well as you talked about before. And, you know, the 1%, if you become 1% better every day, you are 37 times better in the, in the end of the year. And that should get better results. All or nothing processes, right? And like uh, someone with ADD, I always suffer from blowing all or nothing processes. And like, you know, an all or nothing process is like if you have to go to this, he uses the example. If I send you to the store to go buy a chocolate cake, right? And you come back with everything but the chocolate, it doesn't matter. You, you know, you missing one step basically negated everything else that you did right because you don't have a chocolate cake at the end of it. And so, and that's really goes back to what we're dealing with in multi-location management. You can get 80, you can get 99% of it correct, but you miss one thing. And that could be the death by a thousand cut thing that irritates the people that day that leads them to having a bad experience. So you, you truly do have to be perfect in these all or nothing 
processes because one slip means it didn't work. And, and you might as well not waste the time doing any of it. I love that because also it's uh, it's also the importance of we, what we forget sometimes. We're so focused on, you know, the outcome is important, but exactly, you know, creating the process to get to these outcomes and make them habits in a way that's really going to drive your business forward. And especially in, in, in times we're in now, we need to tell, give people small wins all the time. And there's no, there's not going to be any big wins probably for a long time. What would be your uh, top advice to, to leaders out there that wants to, you know, accelerate their business in, in these, uh, you know, difficult or, you know, people are accepting these difficult times, but like, how do I accelerate my business right now? You know, really what it comes down to, I think is it comes down to, uh, it's controlling what you can control, right? And not, and getting out of your own way, right? Because once again, the whole world's conspiring against you. Every, you can name everything that's crazy in the world that's working to affect your business from the outside. But people today are still, um, if you do a great job and you give them exactly what your brand promise is, every time they come in, you get it in the right speed, the right taste, the heat, whatever it is that are important to you, whatever you sell is, but you give them great experiences, just like they are very prone to being disloyal, right? And if you do bad, they'll nail you on social media, they'll write a bad review, you know, they'll get on Facebook and say, I'm not going back there, all that kind of stuff. When you do a great job, people are so focused on convenience and value today that they will also become fiercely loyal because they don't have time to screw around. And so if you just execute to your brand promise and you control what you can control in your four walls and you ignore what's going on in the rest of the world and really get laser focused on the details in your walls, you will start stealing your competitor's business, right? And, and, and that's been the way, by the way, from day one in restaurants was just take care of your customers and do the things that you're supposed to do correctly and give them a great experience and they will stay loyal and you will grow and you will watch your competitors who can't do that go out of business. And I'll say one other thing too, because we always talk about labor, right? I don't know if it's as bad in England as it is here, um, but it's definitely been bad. A lot of people left the industry during the pandemic and, you know, all the social programs and everything you could argue or keeping people out. And also like just antiquated management styles where we know this isn't the 1960s where it was a badge of honor to work 48 hours in a row. It's not that way anymore. People want more balance. They want all this stuff. But I will tell you this, this, this one fact of working in the hospitality industry, I, I believe has stayed true forever, which is that slow, bit, slow restaurants have higher turnover than busy restaurants because nobody wants to be sitting around with nothing to do that's the worst restaurant job ever. Right. And if you've got people that you've hired that are happy doing that, then you've hired the wrong people and you've created a self-fulfilling prophecy for yourself. Like great restaurant employees want to come in, work their butts off for eight hours and go home sweaty and tired because they know that the time just flew by and they did something and they felt like they were part of something. Um, and so all these people have all these labor problems right? And you hear about it all the time. But I, I always see the busiest, best restaurants don't seem to have labor problems. So giving your people tools, keeping them focused, showing them their progress, keeping them motivated, and then building a better business that's busier are all things that are going to keep your business well staffed. And it's just like, a, it's all good things, right? They're all going to just keep getting better and better and better. Your sales and profits will go up, you'll have more teams, you know, you'll be able to hire more from in within, get better benefits, pay more. It's all the same thing, but it comes from at the very basic, most basic level, just taking care of that customer. And that comes from controlling what you can control and ensuring that their experience is always consistently good. Love that. Love that, Tommy. Uh, where can people find out more about you and Ops Analytica? Where, where should they go? Sure. So opsanalytica.com. And it's spelled weird because somebody owns the right way of spelling it. So we had to go with the Portuguese word for analytics. So it's and it'll be in the show notes, but it's O-P-S-A-N-A-L-I-T-I-C-A, opsanalytica.com. And I'm Tommy Yanolis. I'm on LinkedIn. If you just want to ask me a question, message me. Don't care. 
love to hear from people. I'll put my email. He can put my email address in there too. Just send me an email, man. Love to answer your question, chit chat about this stuff. I could talk about it literally for 50 hours a day. It's my favorite thing to talk about. Great, Tommy. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Uh, power and energy to you and the team. Uh, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thank you, Michael. See you, man. Tommy, thank you so much for this fascinating revisit to the Checklist Manifesto and also talking about the power of systems when you power them with tech and how they can really leverage the employee and operational experience. So now ask yourself, what can I do to leverage tech to boost operational efficiencies as well as the employee experience? If you want to learn more about tech and checklists, please tune in to episode number six, Only the Innovative Will Survive with Joe Crisps, co-founder and MD at Trail. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels, which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. If you have any ideas or feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or via my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help the leaders of the industry to become better every day. Check them out at BizSimply.com or visit their social at BizSimply or at BizSimplyHQ. You can also email them directly at advice at BizSimply.com. A big thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter and more Maverick Insights at hospitalitymavericks.com. You can find all this in the show notes. I'm Michael Tingsam, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast Show. Be Maverick!